everyone. How are we doing tonight? Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> so obviously we are here to talk about the work of these two lovely ladies to my left. Um, before we get there, though, I guess I should introduce myself because I'll be moderating this discussion tonight. My name is Bria Lavornia. I am a freelance writer for StarWars.com and have done some essay work for Marvel in the back of their age of every single R word possible comics. Uh, I'm also the managing editor for Tasha Station and run the KanjiCast and the Vongcast podcasts. That's a lot of casts in one sentence. But for the purposes of tonight, I am here as your prequel-loving fan who has a lot of feelings about both Queen Shadow and Master and Apprentice. So what I should do is start with a question for both of you. But I'm not going to do that. Because, Claudia, <laughs> you were here two years ago. <laughs> and I think it was... More or less in that very spot that you mentioned you really wanted to write a novel about Qui-Gon. Yes. Did that? Did you already have the book, or did you will it into being and this, um, from the stage? I willed it into being. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have the assignment, but literally from the time Lost Stars were done, they were like, have you ever thought about doing another book? I was like, I want Qui-Gon. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it just kept agitating. And so finally came up. Or maybe this is a really powerful stage. So let's be real careful what we say. Or let's be really not careless about what we say. So I wanted to start for, to ask both of you, uh, do you remember your initial thoughts on the prequels and, or do you have a distinct memory of first seeing them? Yes, I do. Sorry, it's been that sort of um, Yeah, so I went to the movie theater on my birthday. I was turning 15, and I was with my friend Lydia, and it was like the first time we'd been to a movie without grown-ups, which is a big deal when you're from a town of 500 people and they have to drive you 40 minutes to get to the closest movie theater. It just means that like your mom is at the Tim Hortons down the road. Um, and so I just remember like sitting there and like bursting into tears as soon as the music started because I didn't think we were ever going to get like another Star Wars movie, and here we were, and we finally had one. Yeah, um, it, I just had the depressing realization of how much older than Kate I am. <laughs> yeah, because it was like I took the afternoon off from my law office <laughs> to go, uh, stood in line for I think three hours for tickets, which was not that bad as Phantom Menace line experiences went. Um, but yeah, it was sort of mostly what you said. I mean, I was either six or seven when the first movie came out. So our generation just was Star Wars. We had lived it. And, you know, but even back then they're like, there are going to be so many movies. And then after Return of the Jedi, it was like, guess not. (laughs) And, you know, all this time. And it was like, you know, they're always like the little kid dreams of a pony and somebody promised you the pony. And it was like, oh my God the pony here it is um and honestly one of my main memories of it is um a friend was one of the people who came in costume and he looked you know he looked like obi-wan kenobi but he looked like his complexion was really weird we're like are you okay and he's like oh yeah yeah, wait anyway the lights went down he had put on glow in the dark body paint (laughs) he was force ghost (laughs) obi-wan it was pretty epic (laughs) Um, how have your feelings about the prequels since we know they're somewhat decisive 
uh, or divisive. I can't speak English tonight, sorry. Uh, how have they changed and evolved over the years, specifically about the Phantom Menace, since ties closest to both of your books, or any of them in general? Um, I really enjoyed the Phantom Menace, I think, much more than kind of the average fan or at least um, pop culture thing had, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, of course, was Qui-Gon, who I immediately responded to as a character. Um Forgive me for those of you who have heard me said this before, but there, there's a skill of being a great actor. And then there's a completely different skill, which is the ability to say Lucas dialogue. <laughs> you know, and there are really great actors who have hit that dialogue wall and it's not happening. And then you have people like Billy Dee Williams, who I think is a great personality, but I don't think of as like, you know, a master thespian. But he owns every line Lando says. He's got this, you know. Liam Neeson, you had both, and you really felt that, and I really connected to that character. Um, Also, I believe that was the origin of my five-year desperately serious crush on Ian McGregor. Like, like it was, it it wasn't pretty, guys. He was pretty. (laughs) But but the crush was not pretty. Um, uh Yeah, no, like, everybody that is interested in men or ever was is like mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I mean and he was able to do that with that haircut I mean that's, that's impressive that's the force guys. <laughs> like, um, and actually one thing that had me super psyched about it I was really into the idea of the midichlorians because I thought that's going to be the explanation for how they got wiped out because I was like how do you kill 10,000 psychic warriors with superpowers you know how how exactly are you going to do that? And I was convinced it was tied into that. And, of course, that was one of the really controversial things. But I was like, no, 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 that, that's totally going to pay off, which that didn't happen. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was born aloft on uh, the clouds of Liam Neeson and Ian McGregor, and I'm really still there. So. Um, I, I guess I was just very, very impressionable, and... Um, I encountered these girls who were like my age, but like way cooler than me, but they still seem nice. And my experience at that point was that like people's coolness and their niceness were like directly inverse of each other. Um, Cause teenage girls are the best and the worst all the time. Um, and so it was kind of nice to just see, like it was also one of the first movies I really remember seeing where like two girls talked to each other and they weren't like dinosaurs. Um, so, sorry, I just thought of, uh, that movie where the man, Land Before Time, there we go. It's on Netflix, and I was like, I wonder if I'll still cry. Spoilers, yes. Um, (laughs) so I just kind of loved the, like, the connections that they had, and, um, the way that they all sort of worked together, and I was like, cool, I like this direction that Star Wars is taking, and, and then we, you know, waited some more, but, um, it was nice to get like that sort of feeling that this Star Wars movie like is, was a little bit more my type of female character, I guess. Because like I'm never going to be Leia. One, I'm too tall. Two, I like probably can't shoot that well. But I could probably like think my way through things at least well enough to like help Pat Bay do something. Um, actually, we need to go with another one for you. And I'm gonna quote a. Quote a tweet of yours from February. Okay. Because you asked, you said, ask me about this on a panel. So I'm going to. 
How did you make Ahsoka and Queen Shadow for two discrete groups and still maintain a wider appeal from general Star Wars base? That definitely sounds like something I would say. Absolutely something you would um, say. So this is where it gets kind of like niche publisher shenanigans. Um, and YA is a really broad um, subject group because you have to appeal to 13-year-olds and you also have to appeal to 18-year-olds. And if you've ever tried to entertain a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old at the same time, you will probably notice that they have slightly different interests. And so with Ahsoka, I very much wanted to write an accessible book. I wanted to write a book that anybody who had watched The Clone Wars could read, even if it was being read to them. So it's kind of aimed towards like the 12-year-old reader or like the 8-year-old kid who did not get scared off or bored by The Clone Wars. There's a lot of banking in The Clone Wars, let's be real. And um, if they can like talk their parent into reading the book to them, that they would be able to follow along. Um, with Padme, I went like full teen girl <laughs> um, and sort of leaned into a lot more, um, a lot more structure and a lot more um, sort of internal conflict rather than the external conflict that um, Ahsoka faced. Claudia, Jedi Lost by Kevin Sponso, which is a really neat audio drama about Dooku, if you guys haven't heard of it yet. That came out, what, two weeks after Master Apprentice? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I might take a wild guess that there was some collaboration between yeah, incessant, yeah. basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, the texts were constant because you know, I was working on this thing with Qui-Gon and of course there are many flashbacks to when Qui-Gon is the apprentice and Dooku is the master. And of course the book is fundamentally about the relationship to prophecy, which of course is a huge part of Dooku's character. And so we were always all the time going, okay, well, what do you have as the moment with this? You know, What do you have with that? Uh, you're really trying to trace, you know, where exactly Dooku thought this or knew this, where he was with it the whole time. And um, one of the characters in Master and Apprentice is a Jedi named Rael Avaros, who is, uh, he was Dooku's apprentice before Qui-Gon. And I sort of floated the idea and story group was like, sure, okay, that um, a, a master's older Padawan might, you know, if their duties sort of brought them into contact, sometimes operate as a bit of a mentor to a uh to a new padawan because they're a little closer in age and they could be like yeah i know what this person is like and you know they may seem intimidating but you know somebody who can kind of guide the way and rail was sort of that guy for qui-gon and rail anyway wound up in uh jedi lost and uh i was like Cav, how dare you write better dialogue for rail than me <laughs> Yeah, when I see him again, we're going to have words. But uh, but no, that was really great being able to work together on that. <laughs> Listening to him in the audio drama for Jedi Lost, I was not... I knew the accent was coming, but I was not prepared for the accent that he had. I wasn't either. I mean, in my head, and I didn't know this until I heard, because in the audio drama, if you've heard it, he basically sounds like he's narrating the Dukes of Hazard. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> don't know if those Duke boys are going to get over the <laughs> crick this time. You know, the, spoiler, they did. Um, but well, uh, That's not where I went with him at all. <laughs> well, in I my head... I defaulted to Peter Cushing by accident. No. Like no, no, no. <laughs> I'm really bad at this. Oh, you, we, oh yeah. you mean when you were reading it? Not no, no. Uh, in my head, I guess he was Australian, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that until. But he definitely he had to speak in a very different style than Qui Gon or Obi Wan because then you have way too many people being sort of British and reserved, and and then I started you know originally when I started writing him, he was sort of like that, and I was like, oh my god, no, this is not working. He has to be different, and he wound up very different. I'm now picturing him as, like, a very rugged Hugh Jackman. 
<laughs> There's never a bad time for rugged Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I did want to talk more about Rail, though, because how the heck did he end up as Dooku's Padawan? I think um, Dooku likes people that go against the grain of the Jedi Order. He likes when people aren't in lockstep. And, of course, Rail is so different from Dooku in so many ways, but I think in some ways, like, instead of trying to mold somebody who would be like him and be disappointed, he gets to instead give all this liberty to this Padawan and let, you know, and talk the way he wants to talk about the Force, which isn't necessarily the way that the Jedi Council would recommend. He knew that Rail was somebody who was never going to be coloring inside the lines. And I think he, I think Dooku respects that willingness to just go against the tide. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't read the book yet. I'm sorry. Sorry. (laughs) But we're going to, I'm going to ask this question anyways. Uh, do you think things might have gone differently further down the line in, um, in the Star Wars timeline if Rail had said yes to Dooku in that last conversation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Rail's a really powerful Jedi, and I think if he had teamed up with Dooku at that point, you know, and, and Dooku had had not only, you know, a... Uh, sorry, real spoilers here, like a dark apprentice, but a tremendously gifted dark apprentice who was actually loyal to him. Because the rule of two is like bad management skills, guys. <laughs> it's like, yep, you know, <laughs> we're going to have this really great working relationship with the knowledge that one of us is going to kill the other. <laughs> you know, that's that's not good. Uh, but to have like two dark Jedi who actually were allied and did kind of have that i think they would have been very very dangerous i mean palpatine as we know is incredibly powerful but i think the two of them together would have been formidable you could have saved the galaxy if you just you know (laughs) so ek queen shadow features a lot of close female friendships Mm -hmm. uh but i want to talk specifically about the one between padme and sabe which isn't romantic but in my opinion just as important if not more important than the romantic relationships they do have in their lives. Yes. I mean, that's my answer. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, well, it was definitely something we, um, I talked a lot about with Jen Huddle, my editor, um, because um, I'm not unaware of how fandom breaks down over this um, in terms of like, all you have to do is click on the AO3 tags to see the numbers. Yeah. Um, and I felt at that point, if we put them in a relationship, one, it would have been, I'd written two unrequited or like two breakup stories in a row for Star Wars. And I was like, I just can't do that to queer girls again. Um, and it also means that like, if, um, if Padme and Sabe were in a romantic relationship, that like, it automatically ties back to Anakin in a way that it doesn't if they're like if it's just a platonic soulmate situation, um, which was spoilers. Um, so the idea of having something, I wanted to give Padme something, one thing in her life that was just totally unconnected to Anakin Skywalker, um, and her relationship with Sabe was that one thing um, because it doesn't. Um, she can have them both basically. Um, and Sabe sort of articulates that quite well a couple of times during the book. I think the point at which Sabe told uh, Tanra that she was always going to pick Padme was one of the most powerful moments <laughs> and for Tanra's me. like, yes, I know. That's why I <laughs> want to kiss you, goddammit. <laughs> Aside from Sabe, do you have a favorite of the handmaidens? Yes, pick your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do obviously have a favorite one. Um, probably Sashay. 
Um, I got to make up sort of a bit of a backstory for her, um, which is always like the first step to being like, oh, now I'm uncontrolled in love with this character. Um, and so I got to do like uh, moments for all of them. But Sasha gets like the big sort of hero moment that we don't see on screen in The Phantom Menace. Um, and then she has like the career in politics that we don't see in Attack of the Clones. So it was kind of nice to sort of get into her a little bit and um, write write her story. And then I also really enjoyed in like the second wave group of handmaidens um, writing Verse because she's the one who doesn't look like Padme enough to double for her. And she is also their like she's their first really solid slicer like they've had people who are proficient with technology before but she's the one who's like they don't ask questions about how she knows what she knows basically um uh, because they know they're going to need her so it's kind of nice to write this one um handmaiden who like really exemplifies the behind the scenes stuff because she is always behind the scenes um and that was that was the other sort of fun relationship to play with so both of your books deal pretty heavily with the subject of slavery in star wars um, how did you approach writing such a, a topic that has such heavy real work connotations? These softball questions have to stop. <laughs> um, do you want me to go first? I hired someone to read it over when I was done to make sure that I hadn't screwed up. Um, that person was Patrice Caldwell. She used to work for Disney. Now she's an agent and an author. Um, and I basically just emailed Jen Hedlund and I was like, look, this is a place in my books where I would hire somebody who knows more than I do. Uh, Justina's probably too busy. Can we ask Patrice? She already works for you. And Jen said yes. So, um, uh, Patrice went through and made sure that my, um, I had used, it's like things like use the word enslaved rather than slave and like just to keep sort of active words rather than like object words when you're referring to people. Um, and the place where that gets kind of murky in Star Wars is that you can't say human trafficking because <laughs> they're not always human. Um, but you want to make sure that like you, you get the human part across, which is why they use the word souls so often. Um, because it was kind of the way to sort of remind you that like it was, it was real people doing real things. And the reason that Sabe and Padme fail, um, is because they're like 18 year old white girls with a lot of money, very good hearts and no idea how to ask for help. They're very good at being asked for help, but they don't know how to ask for help. And so that's why their scheme falls apart almost immediately. And they have to back down because they've blown their cover. And it was kind of a, a way to sort of one deal with the meta of like, they can't actually fix it. We know what happens on Tatooine. Um, but also kind of remind people that even if you are someone who has these amazing intentions, if you don't talk to the people who know more than you do, you're probably going to go off track every time. Um, I had originally wanted to get into the subject even more than I did get to in this book, because I really think a lot of us would agree that the question of slavery is really the biggest dropped ball and missed opportunity in the prequels. You know, if you have young Anakin saying, like, I'm going to free the slaves, and here you have this amazing motivation for this person to go away from the Jedi Order and, and be righteously angry, which can turn into not-so-righteous anger in the end, you know, and then that, that doesn't come into it. And it it's just such a lost opportunity to really flesh out that character, I think, in some, some really interesting ways. Um, and yes, I mean, a lot of the same things that Kate talked about in terms of not, you know, talking about enslaved persons instead of slaves, etc. 
uh, except when it was in the dialogue of a person who, yeah, who would who would say it that way because you want to you want to be sensitive to things, but at the same time you don't want to soft pedal either. It's important to like make it clear like those are really horrible people who are capable of thinking about other people in incredibly you know um, objectifying ways. I guess so. Yeah just tried to be careful in that sense and it felt like the right backstory for Rahara. I loved her so much. Uh, one of the lines in the book that killed me the most was when Qui-Gon is looking at her and Pax and he thinks the man has a soul but makes her carry it. Which, number one, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but that was just, that was an incredible line. And um, as a fellow KOTOR fan seeing Zerka Corporation in there, I went, did she just? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do, a, I'll do a less, more of a softball this time, you know, after a heavy question. Uh, so the main characters from your respective books aside, uh, what, if there was to be an Operation Blue Milk, aka from a certain point of view, for the Phantom Menace, who would you want to write about? Literally anyone. Okay, that's not... I think it would be fun to do Valorum during the vote of no confidence, where he's just like, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, the entire time. Like, he can see the whole future, and there's nothing he can do about it. Because that's the best way for Star Wars to, like, punch you in the stomach repeatedly, is that the moment when the character, because so often they don't see what's coming, but it would be beautiful to have this moment where Valorum is like, I've just seen every place that this is going, and for some reason there are clones involved, but also... Maybe I should retire to a very faraway planet and just like drink martinis on a beach for the rest of my life <laughs> and hope that that planet does not get nuked from orbit. That, that's a wise choice, really, in the prequel era. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that may be your best bet. Um, and see, now I have to reassess Valorum. I'm like, my God, what a genius he yeah, was. He that was we, didn't, like, we didn't understand yeah, him. He just got didn't appreciate him. He just got outplayed. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I've been trying to think of something that isn't incredibly boring because I really just want to write Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan again. <laughs> okay, no. You already More. did that in the first back pub. Yeah, and They're it's not enough. Not enough. Um, well, I mean, they had main characters in from a certain point of view as well. Um, you know, Obi-Wan has uh, a sequence. Yeah, but those aren't the rules of the question. Huh? <laughs> well, a background, background character. Um, background to mid-level. I'll allow, like, Sebulba level. Not Sebulba. <laughs> you could do, like, the, the guy that doesn't speak English but commentates both ways. You know, you know, uh, like oh, yeah, with the two heads, and, like, half, yeah. Half the story's in English and half the story's in... Uh, yeah, and the voice is Greg Proops, and why do I know that? <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Um, uh, actually, it might be kind of interesting to get to Jabba right around that time. Like, what what's going on with the underworld? Because one thing that... Uh, played with a little bit in Master and Apprentice is at that point they do have a run-in with the Huts, but the Huts don't have the power. Like they have to back down, they have to do that. But of course, by the time of the Clone Wars, the Jedi are having to make deals with the Huts. They're having to negotiate with them. So obviously, there's a big ascent in Hut power as you get this breakdown in the Republic and Jabba was obviously playing that very intelligently. So it might be kind of interesting to like look at that power shift through him at that moment. Interesting. I like both of yours. <laughs> All right. Someone call Delray. No, don't actually tweet Delray. They'll get so mad at me. Um, <laughs> 14 people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why the history? 
you're telling people to tweet Delray on, like, from panels. Uh, so, Naboo elected a 14-year-old to be queen. Uh, Pajal had a regent for their princess, who was, until she was 14. And then you, Fannery herself, cites other teenage rulers or people who are being brought al- along and educated about what it means to rule. Do you actually think that teenagers should be given that much power? <laughs> Listen, at, at, <laughs> at this point in our political process, I think we have to be open to <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I like the sort of um, the sort of take that Naboo has where they have like people like CO Bibble to make sure that like things don't go completely off track. But then they have someone who is just open minded and approachable and personable. Um, and also unreachable at the same time, if that's not a direct contradiction of everything I just said, um, which is the point. And to just have this person who can sort of be a symbol and a sort of way of bringing people together. So it's just, it's kind of like electing the same idea every two years. Um, and just like the, the person changes. Um, but I'm not sure like practically how that works out. But honestly, like so few systems of government are practical. <laughs> I mean, I do still miss those couple of months after I saw The Phantom Menace where I wanted to grow up and be elected queen, but uh, we're going to open for questions in a few minutes, so if you guys have something and you want to line up at the mic, go ahead and do that, but I'm going to ask them some more questions first because I can't. Um, EK, I just want you to talk about the weaponization of fashion and expectations of teenage girls, and yes, I want you to talk about the concert thing. Okay. So um, one of the things I had a lot of fun um, with with the with Queen's Shadow was um, taking things that like basically everything we make fun of teenage girls for doing um, and turning them into something that's like can be used against the people who are judging the girls. So my standard joke is that if I could have sent them to a Backstreet Boys concert, I would have. Um, but um, there's a really great YouTube video by a YouTuber named Slayler J. Um, uh, and it's about contouring. Um, and it has possibly the greatest line in YouTube, which is, if men find out we can shapeshift, they're going to tell the church. Um, and she does the whole thing in like a Catherine Hepburn accent. It's amazing. And um, it's the idea of like, we make fun of teen girls for so much. And then they're like, fine, I'm just going to take this makeup and render all five of us indistinguishable from each other and also everyone else and get away with whatever we want because of it. You'll be so busy looking at the makeup and the dresses and all of the shenanigans that you won't notice that, like, the five of us run a planet and might have also overthrown the galactic government on our, like, weekend field trip. So, like, that kind of thing is sort of what I was going for. I wanted to ask you about Pax or Har a little bit more. Uh, Can you just talk about the inspiration behind both characters? Because the idea of someone being raised entirely by protocol droids and then having to deal with someone who grew up in slavery is just fascinating to me. Um, Pax, I knew he was obnoxious before I knew why, <laughs> but it was sort of like, what, what is this guy's deal? You know, he couldn't just be that way. But at the same time, I was like, what is going on here? And then the idea that backstory occurred to me and, you know, I love 3PO, but if you had spent all your formative years surrounded with nothing but 3PO, like you'd be cranky too. <laughs> and... And and you would not necessarily have the same idea of tact that <laughs> that other people have. Oh, and you certainly wouldn't have like sensitive 
emotional vibes, Mr. 3PO. Remember me, Han Solo? While Leia's standing there and two feet away, which I love. Um, and, uh, and getting into the question of slavery was sort of the genesis, I guess, of the Rahara character. Uh, that and also a highly formative influence for those of you who are old enough. Do you remember the show Remington Steel? anybody yeah remember like when they would dress up in black and be like sexy cat burglars you know <laughs> and that was the best ever and that was like oh little bitty me is realizing she's heterosexual like but and i was like you know what we need sexy jewel thieves in space and they never got to the black cat suit part but in my heart i know it happens so okay okay we're gonna do questions just as a brief reminder questions should be brief they should not be comments. They should end in a question mark. And so help me, they do not involve the word bald. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I am I'm telling you now. They, all right, go ahead. Uh, first off, thank you both so much for being here. Uh, this is a repetition of the question I asked yesterday, EK. Uh, so I guess you can answer it again. Uh, if you had the choice between writing a book that's set in the past or distant past before Phantom Menace or after the rise of Skywalker, uh, what would the plot and characters be? For that novel, I can give your answer. You can give mine. Um, I'm not sure. Your answer literally has not changed in like two years. No, I'm sorry. Can I give her his? Yes. I thought you just meant as like the short story thing, not as the whole book. No, Claudia would like to write KOTOR because she wants to use the word meatbag a lot. Uh, and I only discovered video games like six months ago, so I haven't got to that one yet, but I understand it's kind of a big deal. Yes. Yeah, and I did know that she is incredibly interested in writing Palpatine, but I thought she was just talking about the one short no, story. No, 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 I want the whole YA book. Oh, the YA book, yes, yes, Junior Palpatine. God, that's not pretty. Um, but speaking of YA books, I actually think the story of how Mission and Zalbar first get together would be an amazing one. Thank you so much. Hi, um, my my questions. I've talked to you before, but I, I, my questions for um, Claudia. So I'm a middle school teacher, and yeah, here, 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 here. <laughs> Tuesday, Tuesday, first day of school. Um, and that Qui Gon's sense of doubt in himself, his feelings of failure, and that he's not good enough and he's not the right teacher, hit me so hard. So I wanted to know where did that come from, and when you were writing that, did you consciously think that? Some of the young adults reading this may look at that and look at their teachers and kind of have an, oh, <laughs> oh. Well, I thought it was important because both Qui-Gon is, you know, at this point, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's partnership is pretty rocky and it's past the point when it would be. Uh, and of course, Yoda's like, it's, it's always rocky to begin with because we throw a huge life change at people right when they hit adolescence, which is not maybe a great idea. But... Um, you know, so Qui-Gon is blaming himself, but Obi-Wan is also blaming himself. Each of them sort of looks within, like, what can I do? Because I felt like that was sort of truest to the to the idea of the Jedi, is that you would look to yourself first. What can I do? What do I see that has to be, you know, made right in me with my relationship with the Force to make this right? Because you contrast it in the book a little bit with Dooku, who doesn't, you know, he doubts things within himself, but he clearly doesn't doubt himself as a teacher at all. You know, and later on with Anakin, you know, An Anakin has his problems and he blames other people. 
you know, and as even when he's at his greatest as a character, he's fundamentally laying the blame somewhere else, which is a dangerous thing. So it wasn't so much like look at your mentors differently, although I hope that's there, but just sort of the idea that, you know, if you're trying to lead that kind of a spiritual existence, something that really deals with a lot of self-reflection, it would have to begin with you. Awesome. Thank you. I still love that quote a lot. Hi, I would like to repeat a note of thanks for you guys being here and also for writing such great books. Uh, since we've established that this is a magic stage where we can real- will things into being, Claudia, what book would you like to uh, EK to write? And EK, what book would you like Claudia to write? <laughs> I'm going to say Young Palpatine because I'm better. Okay, okay, okay. The one, the book that I want Claudia to write, I've given this a lot of thought for about two seconds after I met her. Um, so I want Claudia to write the rom com slash political thriller of the year on the run with Obi Wan and Qui Gon. And- <gasps> Where Qui-Gon is just like, this is how condoms work, make good choices. <laughs> and um, it kind of like spirals out from there. It, what, is this like Jedi Rumspringer? Is that, is that what it is? That's literally what it is. Jedi Rumspringer. Okay, now now my entire brain has just been derailed, possibly possibly permanently. No, I, now that I'm seeing it as a book, the whole young Palpatine thing, yeah, I'm going to co-sign that because, oh man, he's not, he's not... He's not no, that's, that's also, it's gonna put all of our like high school traumas into perspective right there forever. Yeah. The first time I said the Palpatine book out loud, Pablo Hidalgo stopped the entire panel and was like, "Wait, you need to take this apart because you're the nicest person I've ever met." And I was like, <laughs> "So please will that into being." And thank you so much. How's it going, folks? Thank you so much for being here, first and foremost. Um, I'm glad we're getting a question from the Riddler. Yes. <laughs> Very on brand. All right, so one of my favorite things of this series has always been Dothamir. And if you could please give any inside information on the future of Dothamir and Darth Maul in this series. If I had that, man, I'd be, I'd be really happy. Because I also think that's a really fascinating thing and something I hope they'll dig more into. And... You know, I think their presence in the uh, Galaxy of Heroes game suggests we haven't seen the last of them, but I, I have no information on that whatsoever. Um, I I wish. Yeah, I'm kidding. I know I, um, they told me, like, when I was starting to write the Ahsoka book, they were like, can you write a thousand words about the Siege of Mandalore with no action sequences? And then, like, mostly without Darth Maul. And I was like, he's the only other character she can talk to. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I have have a good feeling about the Clone Wars episodes that we're going to get in whenever that is. Um, January? February? February. February. Um, But aside from that, I have. Thank you so much, ladies. Appreciate it. Hello. Thank you all for being here. Um, Big fans of both of your novels. All of them. I read them all. Um, (laughs) This question is for Claudia about Master and Apprentice. Um, Rail and Qui-Gon have this really great conversation about the definition of balance in the Force, but they don't really come to any concrete conclusions about that. Um, I was wondering if you could speak at all to how you were thinking about the Force and the balance of the Force when you were writing Master and Apprentice. Ooh, that is actually uh, a a weightier question than you may have realized. (laughs) I mean, this was seriously something I was thinking a lot about. you know, uh, I was lucky enough to to have somebody like reading the Tao Te Ching to me. You know, like literally, I was really trying to try and get in that headspace. 
And um, I mean, honestly, these are kind of scary and dark times and it can be very difficult not to let that take you over. And I just really wanted to like, you know, through Qui-Gon just re-embrace this idea that you, you don't do the right thing because it means that you win, you know, or you get these points. You do the right thing because you do this. You do this whether or not it's recognized, um, anything like that. So, yeah, that was really me trying to grapple with a lot of things through that. I'm, I'm sorry if that answer was vague, but oh my God, you guys don't want the whole psychological thing. That was, I mean, that kind was, of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Maybe a little. Host, host on the podcast. You can talk yeah. for like an hour. <laughs> um, that was my favorite part. I was, I was angry that I didn't write it. It was really good. Yeah. I think I yelled a lot when I got to the quote they use in the back of the book about why it matters, choosing the light, yeah. which another one, that was another moment where I looked down and was like, how dare you? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, hi. My question is, uh, Rail's been in two books now. He's connected to Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Dooku, but he, because he's not in the movies, what's going to happen to him? <laughs> Anything could happen to Rail. I mean, he's clearly still alive uh, as of um, this. So who knows? I mean, I actually think it'd be really cool if he were to show up in some things around the Attack of the Clone, uh, Attack of the Clones era, where they're like, "Who's the expert on Dooku?" You know, and Rail, of course, is going to be off on some small planet. You know, drinking martinis with the <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think he's probably drinking way harder. <laughs> but yeah, he's going to be like, are you kidding me? Y'all are so stupid. <laughs> you know? but, uh, but I think it would be interesting to see him again. And I sort of hope he does reappear in some way. But uh, it's nice having him out there and knowing that he made a slightly different choice that means we get a lot of interesting stories for him, potentially. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. There's a mall. There's an amazing mall that walked in back. Yeah, wait, wait. Like, oh. <laughs> 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 Hi, thank you guys for being here. I'm so excited to see you. And my question was um, for Claudia in Master and Apprentice. How uh, there's a lot of communication issues between Qui Gon and Obi Wan in that book. And I was curious when when you were coming up with your um, with a backstory for them. I mean. Were you thinking that um, it started out bad and off the wrong foot, or was it kind of built up through time, or just kind of wondering what your your thinking was for that backstory? Well, I mean, some of the idea, like, I always had sort of the idea that the early days of being a Padawan were going to be really fraught for anybody. I mean, it's like, oh, hey, learn you... Uh, adult person learn to live with this you know moody adolescent that you probably <laughs> don't know very well you moody adolescent this whole new person is just going to be telling you everything you have to do from now you know i i think most of the time there's going to be a little bit of friction and yoda's even like that's a good thing you know there, there should be some but they've gotten to this point it's a few years on it ought to be better than it is and it isn't and i think it had to do with the idea that um you know qui-gon is very much about the living force and is really kind of a mystic at a time when the order has lost touch with that. Whereas Obi-Wan is much more by the book character, but not in the sense that he's, you know, I think we have a really bad tendency in fandom to sort of go, Oh, the ones that follow the rules, like they're timid or they don't think for themselves or whatever. Whereas like, if you really believe in the principles behind it and the Obi-Wan, we can tell through his actions genuinely does, you know, trying to live by that code, you can be a very moral and principled choice. And 
sometimes, you know, in the heat of the moment, you might make a bad decision that the code would have kept you from. And so the idea that they were both really great Jedi, but were, did have sort of this fundamental difference in the way that they were going to approach things, I think that would be the root of that. I want to thank you both for your books. I love them. I already got to see you and like have a big moment about it. Um, but I love both your books. This is a question for you, actually. So you already started talking about how you set up the Padme uh, Sabe relationship, and so I'm. I want to thank you deeply for the fact that you have a book that talks about a relationship that is as deep and as big as anything could ever be romantic or family. Um, between two people who aren't related and who, you know, didn't choose to put themselves together even. Um, because I have, I have a best friend, and I know a lot of people who do, who have these big relationships with people that aren't romantic or sexual, and we don't get that in literature. So where did that inspiration come from? Or do you have, like, a Sabe person in your life? Kind <laughs> um, It was kind of like, if, every time someone asked me a question like this, I'm like, frankly, it was obstinance. I was just like, I'm just going to put it in because people are always like, oh, they're just friends. And I'm like fight me <laughs> um and so i just wanted to give them um like for the reasons i said something that's not part of anakin's story because everything in star wars is part of anakin's story for the most part <laughs> like there are people who've never heard of star wars and anakin is part of their story um and so i mean like they're just the kids who are too young to watch the movies yet and so um the uh the idea of having like these two girls who are the center of each other's universe um but also knowing that one of them will always take the bullet um which kind of is the thing that makes their relationship complicated (laughs) is that like it's not on an entirely equal footing is that um padme knows that it's her job to duck Mm -hmm. and sabe knows that it's her job to jump in front and that sort of adds a weird spin on like an otherwise fairly normal friendship (laughs) (laughs) um and the fact that they would always choose each other first um at this time in their lives in particular um is is interesting as well to deal with because padme you see her kind of drift from that whereas Mm -hmm. sabe just commits more and more and more thank you can we just talk about richard i mean tonra a little bit (laughs) (laughs) um so what did i say just about his relationship with sabe (laughs) If, if you were in the Royal Handmaiden Society back in the day, you spent a lot of time looking at screen caps, um, which barely existed at the time. Like, it involved pausing the VCR at exactly the right moment. <laughs> and so there's this shot when Sabe is standing in the background and Padme is like, no, I'm Queen Amidala. And right behind Sabe is 1997 Richard Armitage. And that's how he ended up in the book. Um, so under the very clever name of Tonra, which is totally not Richard Armitage, uh, <laughs> they let me get away with a lot of weird stuff have you ever noticed that like you name planets after John Luke Picard and they're like it's fine <laughs> oh yeah um yeah. so uh it was just kind of fun to to deal with that character and to sort of reach in one of my favorite things about writing Star Wars is to like reaching into the background and being like hey that random person that walked through the screen once like let's just give them a very important backstory um and then getting to write the conversations between Sabe and Tanra where she is very definitely like always going to choose Padme first and he's like I understand completely I will also always choose Padme first um I think that's why it's going to work because we understand each other that way um and so her his perspective is a little bit different but mostly because he's a lot taller but um (laughs) I mean he is they're both very short (laughs) I'm very tired (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was just the idea of like getting to write those sort of different kinds of relationships. It was a lot of fun. Um, I actually think I'm the person that asked the question two years ago, and oh. I'm gonna ask it again. Okay. Here he comes, voice of destiny. <laughs> okay. If Lucasfilm just gave you the keys to the kingdom and said you could write about any character that you haven't done yet, who would you pick? Um, I I would use my powers to write two books. Um, <laughs> one, re- I really would love to write uh, a Knights of the Old Republic novel, and the one that's most firmly in my head right now is the thing about Mission and Zalbar because that's such an amazing partnership and it's so gorgeous but i would be happy to write pretty much anything you know it could just be like hk47 calling people meatbags all the time like that would just be <laughs> it it would be like here's 900 times he called yeah. somebody a meatbag that would be the whole book um and it could be like one of those yeah. picture books like how to not get eaten by Elon. yeah like that book is really how funny. to not get killed it's, by it's hk47 real, though it is know. a real book how to yeah. not get eaten by ewoks and other survival tips yeah. or something like that. i'm not sure you survive hk though no. I, don't, I don't know but uh another book i would really love to do uh another YA book would be um i'd kind of like to follow up princess of alderaan and have and have young leia but now in the rebellion and young haldo Basically, basically go on a mission that ends up being badass lessons because it's led by Enfys Nest. I would love that. On a similar theme, I would like them to hire Rebecca Roanhorse to write an Enfys Nest book. I don't really care which time it takes place. It can be like her teenage years and then you can write the like teen life. Yes. Okay. I'm glad we figured that out. Yeah. So that would be it. And I use my powers to hire Rebecca. Again, she has Resistance Reborn coming out soon. It's going to be really good. And if you read Trail of Lightning, you will understand why every time someone says, do you want to write an Enfys Nest book? I'm like, no, I want Rebecca Roanhorse to write an Enfys Nest book. How the heck could you possibly make a last page of a follow-up to Leia, Princess of Alderaan more <laughs> painful than the current last page of Leia, Princess of Alderaan? Try me. <laughs> <laughs> So this, this question's for uh, Claudia, and I'm, I'm kind of nervous. Um, <laughs> so, oh dear. Um, so Lost Stars was hands down my favorite so far uh, in canon, um, and then Thrawn is like right behind it. And every book you've written, I beloved. And when Master and Prince was in house, I was like stoked because I wanted Obi Wan and Qui Gon. And the nervous part that I have is that I love what you wrote about Obi Wan and Qui Gon, but I haven't enjoyed the book. I've read it twice. Oh no. Um, so what has held you back? So. I've been thinking about it, and, and I guess it's Rail and Nim and Thonery that something about them just didn't click with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question, I want to read it again, and I want to enjoy it. What advice would you give me? Uh, it is really tough. I know this is tough. No, no, it's but, okay. It's okay. Like, I've loved your books. I've, I've been hooked. Like I've read uh, the other three books, you know, Princess mm-hmm. uh, Leia and the Bloodlines. I read those in three days, and Lost Stars took a while because it was big. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one, the first time around took me a month, and the second time around took me a week. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't, I don't know, I just, I know it's a hard uh, question, but. Well, I think Rail, it's it's about, it's about masters and apprentices in a lot of different senses, if you, if that makes sense. Because you have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, that's the main thing, and of course that's what the name is after. But then you also have Qui-Gon and Dooku, and to some extent Dooku and Rail, which you see through that. And all of these people, at least at this point in the story, have felt very strongly like, you know, the the apprentices are pretty happy with how this has gone. 
the masters at least think like, look, I'm bringing up somebody who is an incredible servant of the force. But, you know, Rail failed that. He failed that completely. And in some ways it was because he was indulged. You know, uh, Dooku indulged him. Let him sort of really give way to some influences that maybe he shouldn't have because it suited Dooku, you know, to have this apprentice who was so against the grain and sort of proved, you know, you know, yeah, we don't listen to everything the Jedi Council says. There's another way to do this. And this is, I mean, I think that would just tear you open forever. And Rail is not a guy who is really able to, like Qui-Gon would, really sit down and meditate in depth to a point where he can come to maybe a place of healing about it. He's just desperately attempting to bandage this wound. And he thinks what he's doing, all these things he's doing, he thinks he's doing them for family. That's how he sees it, because he's not seeing her. He's seeing them. That's what he sees. Um, but, of course, family doesn't see it that way at all. And, you know, and I think we all have these things in our past that keep us from being able to see the present clearly. And, anyway, that is what the origin of that storyline is. That's what that is about, is that he has this blind spot because he's the one master that we we know of or that we see in this who failed and in a, ma- a book that's called master and apprentice you kind of have to like have at least one thing where that has not turned out the way it ought to be the thing i would add is that every time something comes up also think about obi-wan and Anakin mm-hmm. and all the ways that that is going to go down and like because i know we talked uh, we talked a lot in fandom about like what would have been different if qui-gon had still been around and now you're adding rail into that mix like mm-hmm. how would it have been different with rail and like what did obi-wan see in this book with rail that he walks straight into with anakin yeah i mean basically anakin and rail are definitely meant to be the two sides you know rail was somebody who came in late not as late as anakin but late into the jedi order and they indulged him they let him be you know very very different Ooh, and that didn't work out quite the way they wanted and so with anakin they go the exact opposite way and it's so much more disastrous Anyway, that make that would be the word. Yes. Or make it not about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, so I haven't read the Queen of Shadows. I haven't finished it, and I haven't read Master and Apprentice. But thank you for not making it too spoilery. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it's when I, you're watching the Star Wars movies and like reading all these books, it's hard to not like make your mind go wild with all crazy like force abilities. <laughs> so if you could like write your own like unconventional force ability for characters, um, like strange, like I don't know, like Avatar: The Last Airbender, like crap or like read minds or something like that like what unconventional force ability if they would let you write it would you write into your book and have a character use I guess my Knights of the Old Republic fever is taking over because I'm really interested in battle meditation yeah you know what what is that exactly uh you know at least in the playthroughs I've had we don't see Bastila really going at it as much as I would like to and I think it would be interesting to see that in play at different times. Like, was there anybody like that during the time of the Clone Wars? Um, yeah, uh, so it's unconventional. I didn't make it up. Give me some more time. Maybe I could make one up. But it's an unconventional one I think should be explored a lot more. 
one of my like sort of iconic scenes, and it does come from a video game, is uh, in Force Force Unleashed when Star Killer pulls the um, the Star Destroyer down onto the planet. Um, Thanos style. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and I think it would be really neat to get into a Jedi who, for whatever reason, can only do very, very, very big things. Like, can't call their lightsaber, will call every lightsaber in the temple. Like, that kind of thing. Like, what do you do with that person when they're a toddler? (laughs) And all, yeah, basically. And, like, what happens as they grow up and how do they grow up to be sort of this, like, can't, literally cannot do small things, but can crash Star Destroyers into planets with, like, very little effort. Thank you. We're going to cap the line there and we'll get through as many of you guys as we can, but we only have eight minutes left, so we're going to try our best. Um, a question for Claudia. In the scene where Qui-Gon walks in on rail, like, mid-relations <laughs> with Selby, so, um, and then uh, rail starts talking about, like, oh, I'm just doing, you know, not non-romantic things, but you all, you often did this other thing. Can you talk about what your inspiration was for that scene? Um, I mean, mm-hmm. part of it is is linked to Pirates of the Caribbean because Rail's basically going, you know, that chastity thing. It's more guidelines, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and he makes it clear there have always been some Jedi who who felt that way. Uh, just because I I think that would probably be true. Um, human beings being what they are, um, and even in space. So um, <laughs> even when they're Wookies. Know, please, those picturing now things with Wookiees, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I thought it would be interesting to touch on that. And he, he does say, like, he refers very much to the idea that Qui-Gon had a big romance in his past. Something that, you know, may have shaken very briefly his commitment to the Order. But obviously didn't. Because he's like, you know, you, you broke, I'm not breaking the spirit of the law. You know, I'm I'm going around, I'm dating people or whatever, but I'm not forming the kind of attachment that would separate me from the order. And by definition, you know, him saying you broke the letter and the spirit, uh, then you know that uh, Qui-Gon came a lot closer at some point. But I very specifically didn't want to get into that. I, I just wanted the knowledge of it and the way that it affects his character. And it plays sort of into his last scene sorry again with the spoilers but you have a moment with him and Pax and Rahara that is him sort of symbolically letting go of that to some extent and wishing well to this other couple that's going to go forward and have this very different kind of life so um yeah I, I mean really I guess that was just me saying yes some Jedi have sex <laughs> sorry I wish I had a more thoughtful answer thank that's you it. thank you both for being here um Claudia Lost Stars was my favorite book ever and uh, I guess my question is, I loved how Thane and Sienna, they fit seamlessly within all of the OT, but yet it's like they're never in the OT. So my question is, how? what was the inspiration for them and how did that kind of come about? And do you have anything else that you know of pertaining to them in the future? Um, I mean... The, this was the first time that I did anything for Lucasfilm, and I never had any idea. And they came to me, and they basically said, this was the thing that they gave me. I had thought they were going to give me some massive outline. And instead, they were like, okay, we want two childhood friends 
who form this kind of romantic connection, but they wind up on opposite sides of the war. There's a really angry, you know, stormy guy who winds up in the empire and this very idealistic girl who winds up in the rebellion. And immediately came back and said, the idealistic girl has to be the one in the rebellion and the angry guy has to be the rebel. I mean, it has to be in the empire and the angry guy has to be the rebel. And they were like, okay. And I was like, oh, really? All right. <laughs> um, so, you know, everything sort of built out of that, the idea. And it was important creating that planet and that culture so that you sort of understood where they came from and why their friendship had really already been through a lot of challenges before you even get to the division of the war. Um, and in terms of what else might happen, like, I firmly believe that we're going to have more Thane and Sienna someday. I don't know when, uh, I'm kind of hoping it's like a Qui-Gon thing. Cause I kept going, let me write Qui-Gon. I want to write Qui-Gon. Let me write. And they're like, okay. But they knew, which I didn't know that they're going to be doing this big initiative for the Phantom Menace 20th anniversary. Uh, so I'm hoping something else like that is going to come up. And, and also, I mean, I've needed a little more canon to play with because after Jakku, it's like, you know, static. But now the Mandalorian is going to change that. I'm so psyched about that. Um, and I'm hoping we're going to see some other things because we need some other events in canon for them to bounce off of because that's part of the story is that they show you another perspective on the things that you already see in canon. And I need some canon, but we're finally going to have some. So fingers crossed. Thank you. What are some things that you really wanted to put in your work that the story group just said no? Hondo. <laughs> now we know why. He was busy and well busy. No, I've been there. He's not that busy. <laughs> um, I, you know, you guys heard me the other day. I've already asked for HK-47. Uh, just, it, he should be in all books, I think. Not, not just Star Wars books. All of them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, let Jonathan Franson know about this, I think. Um, yeah, I would love to do that. I, I actually once asked for um, for some of the underworld. I thought it would be really cool to have Cad Bane show up. Uh, and uh, that was also a no. And I'm like, come on, he's such a badass. That would be so great. Um, yeah, those are the two main things I'm, I'm thinking about. The one thing that they tried to keep out that I fought to get in was when they gave me the uh, sort of like job for bloodline they were like there's no ben there's no luke there's no han you know and and i got why they said it because you know i am somebody who bought so many of the old eu books and loved so many of them but leia often kind of took the back seat you know and luke and han would get the more interesting and exciting stuff and they didn't want that they wanted it to be a leia book uh and i i was glad about that but it was also like Okay, if they're still married, and they had confirmed, yes, at that point they are, um, and this information comes out about Darth Vader, if there is any way he can get to her, he's going to get to her. It's not plausible. And they're like, okay. you know. But then once they saw it, you know, because Han doesn't take over the story, I don't think. Uh, and then they were, they were happy with it and totally agreed. But I understood where the caution was coming from. At one point, I was like, I think the whole of Queen's Shadow is mostly going to revolve around concrete. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, trust me, it'll make sense when I'm done. Thank you. Sorry, my voice is a little hoarse. Um, I know a lot of Star Wars fans don't do anything other than watch the movie or TV shows. 
Um, so if there was one thing outside of the, like, you know, standard canon that you wish those fans knew that would make it make more sense, or if there was one thing in standard canon that you would take out for it to make more sense, what would it be? Can everyone just read Bloodline? <laughs> like, I'm se- I'm not saying because you're up here. Like, that makes- I mean, I was going to say Lost Stars, so we're, on, we're literally and metaphorically almost on the same page. Almost. See, I was, I was going to be good and not name any of the books because I first thing would be like all the books so all of us get all of those sales uh but <laughs> sorry i mean come on come on guys um and also you know then more people would would be you know showing up at cons and stuff which would be great uh but i guess honestly it would be i i'm now like this knights of the old republic evangelist like have you not played it why have you not played it have you played it evil yet you know um which i find really difficult but i just i honestly think it's one of the great star wars stories uh, the characters are each wonderful for Star Wars, and they're a really great unit. And my favorite way to play it is I never take Candress on missions, but every time we get back to the ship, I'm like, tell me one of your war stories, Candress. <laughs> and he'll tell me a different one and go, come back to me if you want something done right. And then I just don't. Then I just, tell me another of your war story. You could do the whole game that way. It's great. But yeah, I think everybody should be more familiar with that. I think it's awesome. Um, I often say with complete seriousness that my favorite Star Wars movie is the Battlefront 2 playthrough. And my favorite Star Wars book is Are You Scared Darth Vader by Adam Rex. Yes. No, the Iden one. Yes. Yes. It is a great movie. It has my favorite Star Wars romance. I've never played it because I'm really bad at video games, but it also has my favorite Luke scene, hands down. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's my two Battlefront two and Are You Scared Darth Vader? Thank you so much for being with us here tonight, answering all of our questions.